Welcome to the Rumpus Room. Hey, everybody. How's it going out there? It's the boys from the Midwest back kicking it here in the Rumpus Room. And let's hit them with the takeaway message of the day. Today's message is uh, about the mindset of execution. So I've been uh, working, I mean, working in the coronavirus has caused me to have to take a step back and think about how do you move things forward. And something that's helped me get through some of these periods where I may not know exactly what to do. Uh, it's really important to kind of keep your head down and keep going. And what's what the word execution has really helped me, uh, I think, kind of look at work a little differently because some of the, I think language is important and how do you either speak to yourself or either your, you know, the people you're working with or the people that work for you. And uh, there, I think millennials too have this where sometimes you view work as a bad thing or as a, you know, oh, I, I have to work in order for the weekend. So I think what's helped me kind of shift a little bit away from that is, you know, you know, call it procrastination, whatever, but it's thinking about, you know, this is something that I feel very comfortable doing. I, I, I want to do this. I'm executing, I'm providing a lot of a lot of benefit to the world. So I think that's helped me get through it. And I know we're going to talk a little bit about the weddings, uh, but I think that mindset really helped me bear down and get some stuff done. Yeah, I've definitely found myself rewriting some of the narrative around my work as of recent because the pandemic has forced a little bit of the um, Groundhog's Day type feeling where every day you're just kind of doing the same thing. There's not a whole lot of breaking up in the monotony. Um, and so hard to stay motivated in that time. And I, I definitely have been waking up and, you know, kind of psyching myself up for work being like, I'm doing this because of this. This is why I want to succeed, you know, and just mm -hmm. kind of cheerleading a little bit, which um, sounds super pedantic and super ridiculous, but that's, <laughs> that's, it's sort of helped. I don't know. I find myself doing it for some particular reason. Yep. Well, it's also momentum. So, you know, it's like for me, when I start doing tasks or activities, it just starts relaying to the next thing. And what I found is just physically doing something helps me go. So just having some routine, it doesn't need to be this elaborate morning routine where you're waking up at four 30, taking four cold showers and, um, you know, meditating for two hours. It's just how do you get get things moving and then continually get things moving and that, uh, you know, psyching myself up, you know, music. I know we talk a lot about different types of music that we listen to uh, to kind of keep the train rolling, but you really have to keep things going because the moment you sit down and stop doing work or turn the TV on, you know, during the day, it, you can just nosedive. <laughs> so. Well, you mentioned the weddings. Um, so we've obviously taken a, quite a bit of a hiatus since our last episode for both of us to get married, uh, not to each other, obviously, to our beautiful <laughs> wives. Um, I got married uh, early summer and you were about uh, the mid to late time. So um, we both went through the having a coronavirus wedding experience. Um, any thoughts or takeaways or what was your experience? I think we both had different experiences because you um, kind of had your plan and I think you made some adjustments. Our plan, we moved 
kind of completely around, but there's both different challenges with what we had to do. Uh, it, it definitely helped to, I think, have, you know, someone else going through it at the same time to kind of just talk about. Uh, I know we didn't do it, you know, we didn't spend a ton of time talking about it. We were just really in the mode of just getting it done. Uh, but I think it was, it, it definitely caused us to, to rethink what we like in a wedding and plan our wedding or what we want from a wedding and plan around the important things first. And then all of the, the kind of non-essential things at a wedding, which we all know what they, those are. Uh, we didn't focus on those as much. I think that was the big takeaway for me was just prioritizing what was important in a wedding and making sure that happened. And then, there's kind of everything else was just gravy. Whatever you could get on top of that was a little bit more. So the, I thought the pressure was kind of high, but you could kind of tame it down a little bit with, with a little different approach. What do you think about that? Well, the social construct has totally changed in terms of, um, you know, needing to go, right? Like, so if you have <laughs> yeah. a medical concern or you live with your grandparents or whatever and can't go, and we had some really close friends of ours that just were like, look, you know, we don't think it's safe. I'm pregnant. I'm getting, you know, I've just given birth or whatever it is. Um, and that was hard to hear, obviously, because you want people there. Um, what I found to be kind of refreshing, though, is that um, the obligatory nature of events because of coronavirus has really changed. I mean, you, you do things because you want to. So everybody that was at our wedding really wanted to be there. There wasn't a single person who was kind of like, oh, shit, we have to go to your wedding because that's what we do is we support people, even though I'm not super stoked about having to be here. And there was just not a single person there that had that energy whatsoever. So that to me was um, was really awesome uh, because I just... I didn't have a single interaction all day that left like a bad taste in my mouth in any regard. Uh, it was just positivity across the board, which I'm sure is very similar to most non COVID weddings, but um, the rewriting of that kind of social obligation component was, um, was something that I felt wasn't the end of the world. I didn't feel like it was necessarily a really horrible thing. Yeah. And I think some of the, you know, the main things, you know, a lot of people have asked me and I'm sure you have the same question is like, what did you change and how did you account for the virus? And, you know, just how, what did you do? I, you know, a lot of people have asked me that question specifically when I'm at work and, you know, the biggest thing I think we did is we obviously shrunk the gathering, the size pretty large. So we didn't have a lot of people that showed up comparatively to how many we were going to ask. Um, and then it was all outdoors for the both of us. And we both got tents. And for mine, there was some rain. So we were glad we got a tent. And, um, you know, there's just certain precautions you had to take. But I think, you know, just to reiterate your point, everybody that showed up was really excited. We also had the benefit, I think, of being the first large social gathering or social gathering that people had been to other than their you know, families or extended families, you know, if you're maybe seeing your grandma, but uh, a lot of people said that they were just excited to be around people and, uh, you know, just taking some of the precautions we took, people felt more comfortable as the, 
as the wedding progressed, I think there was some nervous energy at the beginning, but that uh, disseminated as we got further and further into the night and people became more and more comfortable. And we can proudly both say that there was no, uh, there was no transmission. Yeah, no super spreader event. Uh, it's interesting because um, we, both you and I, we did our best to do social distancing in terms of having chairs to further apart or, um, you know, seating families at the same table to reduce, you know, inter interfamilial transmission or whatever. Um, not having congested dining areas, not having congested any areas really. Um, mm-hmm. But I work with a gentleman who is a um, primary care physician and he's extremely COVID, uh, shall we say, aware and sensitive. sensitive. And he initially had 300 and some people coming to his son's wedding, which happens to be this Labor Day weekend. They cut down the guest list to 25 people. And we had about 45, so they really shrunk it down, and they're all going to be wearing masks. They're all wearing nobody, masks. Yeah, nobody at our wedding wore masks, but um, <laughs> nope. they are going to go that direction, which is the other alternative. Um, and to be honest, if you were inside, I would consider it. I, w- I would yeah. consider having masks, unless you were really certain that the building you were in was like, not cramped and had high ceilings in good airflow. Had great airflow. And I think yeah. that's one thing we both really tried to understand at the beginning of this. And we have, um, we're fortunate because we have uh, some family connections to really understand, I think, from a science what's happening from the coronavirus and how it spreads. And uh, looking at some of the studies that came out early on, we learned that uh, ventilation in an indoor space is really important. So my wedding was actually supposed to be in an indoor facility and we moved it to an outdoor facility because of the, the main events that were spreading events were early on were a church, a boat, um, you know, of every, you know, in a hospital in New, in New York, it was hospitals and apartments. So what we learned quickly, you know, we spent some time talking to everybody and understanding is, uh, the indoors is a big concern. And so I can see why wearing a mask indoors would be something somebody would do. Uh, having the wedding outside gave us both the opportunity to to not have to do that. And I think it made the event feel a lot more normal and, you know, not having it in the church too. Uh, well, we both and had- you really have to have uh, a responsible guest list. We're fortunate that the people we associate with are not, you know, um, people who are really high risk for transmission, you know, going to the beach party. Young adults. And it's young adults, very young adults, you know, like yeah. the high school and college age um, is, they're not at risk for the virus per se, but they are more of the, they may transmit it. And I think that, yeah, we like your the, the point about um, our guest list. We're a little bit older, so we're not in our early twenties. So I think we are lucky in that sense, where our friends are, you know, very aware of what's going on. And we we definitely had when you we looked at the guest list. I remember at least for my myself, we looked at the guest list, and 
you know, everyone that we said, you know, we went down the line and we knew they would be taking smart, they would be making smart decisions. Mm -hmm. There was no real major risk factor for somebody that was hanging out at bars all weekend. Cause you know, that was when the summer came around, that was kind of the big spreading events was people that went to bars and young people. And if you look at Minnesota or even Wisconsin, the average age of an infected person, it's you know 19 to 44 is a huge bucket of people. That's like the biggest, uh, the biggest uh, risk too. Uh, and we made, we actually made a decision we had a bartender who was 19 years old and we started hearing that there was more of a risk in our immediate area for the virus. And so we ended up not canceling that one bartender and going with another one who we knew a little closer. So, you know, it's like little decisions like that we kind of were making as the event started coming closer. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I think the reason we didn't have a super spreader event is because nobody that came to the wedding had COVID. I don't think it was because of our, you know, mock social distancing, whatever, because if, and and maybe somebody could have had COVID and since we were outside transmissions rates are so diminished, but I mean, in the Midwest, we were both earlier, uh, the disease hadn't had as aggressive of spread at that point being early in middle of summer. So I don't know, we, um, I, all you can really ask for at this point is to have gone through the experience and to not, you know, and to have had a positive experience with the day, which is what we had. So I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't change it any other way. I understand if, you know, you're a 22 year old and you want to have your dream wedding of whatever it is and you decide to push it a year. That's totally cool. Um, Mm -hmm. I will tell you that I don't think a year from now is going to be a whole lot different unless vaccination rates are extraordinarily high, which given the current um, debate among folks, it seems like that may not necessarily be the case. I mean, so I, yeah. I I think vaccines are obviously going to help, but um, I think there's going to be a pretty significant contingent of folks that don't get it. And I think COVID will be of some moderate risk level for a very, I don't know, three, four years at least, or it could just be like the flu, like always yeah. there. Yeah. And it's, you know, I, for me, I think I'm leaning on, it's more going to be like a flu disease eventually. And when you, we, you know, What's interesting is to look at the numbers of people that are dying or hospitalized. Um, And originally we kept everybody inside. You know, it's interesting you're talking about this narrative and I don't know what the right way to do it is or not, but what we're hearing is essentially two different. At the beginning of COVID, it was like, we don't want to overburden our, our hospitals so that, you know, we have people like, you know, in ER rooms, sitting in the hallways that have COVID infecting everybody. And, and then the narrative has shifted a little bit to, we don't want to see anybody die of COVID. And, you know, I'm not saying either one is right. I don't know what the right answer is, but you know, there's different how we look at the disease and how we look at moving forward, I think is going to be, you know, depending on what lens we look through, we're going to be forced to, make decisions because if we don't want anybody to die there's it's going to be really that's going to be very difficult for us to continue forward and if we want to you know manage the hospital 
population, that's a completely other way to handle the disease. So it's, you know, we're kind of having to ask these really hard questions. And so when you talk about like next year, you know, I think we haven't even come to a, an agreement on how do we move forward. So I, I have no idea what next year is going to even look like. And I think when you and I were, you know, we kind of talked about it earlier, we're trying to make a decision. It's like pushing this thing off, you know, that could open up a whole new set of problems. You just don't know what, what, uh, what the problems are further on down the line. And we considered moving ours back to later in the fall, but you know, when you learn more about the disease being inside is good. So fall, you probably were most likely going to be inside. So it's just, yeah, we, I think what helped us make a decision, I think I've heard you say this too, is when we decided we're just going to get married on that day, no matter what, you know, kind of putting your, putting your stake in the ground saying we're going to get married. You know, that's just what we're going to do. I don't know, really know how it's going to happen. We're just going to try to figure that out. That helped us kind of start making decisions and moving forward. Yeah. Um, obviously it was challenging to make, uh, make those decisions and those sacrifices. But um, like, you know, like you said, we got to the point where we just didn't, we were not comfortable with waiting and just pushing. And once we made that, once we put that stake in the ground, in the ground, it was so much easier just to be like, well, if that's the case, then these are our options. I mean, I've said this many a time and it's just interesting how COVID is making everybody kind of make stuff up. Like we have general principles around how we think we should be behaving and interacting. And there's, You've got Fauci on one side and Trump on the other. And the information um, that comes out of the CDC is like pretty consistent. If you actually do pay attention to it, you know, it doesn't change all that much. They don't get into the medications and stuff. I mean, you've got, you've got journals that are responsible for um, scientifically testing those things. So it's really stupid that science has found its way into the media in such a bombastic fashion but you know whatever um so um i forgot where i totally forgot where i was going with that i got talking about the bombastic media and i just got uh you get sidetracked easy totally get sidetracked, sidetracked because they just uh they're really good at kind of taking you off an emotional tangent and i think you know what's interesting for me is trying to sift through the information of the coronavirus is really complicated to, you know, cause we just asked the question of like, how do we keep our guests safe and how do we understand how to keep people safe? And I think it depends on which news source you look into. Uh, they have completely different definitions of what it, what safe is. And even walking around, if you're outside and you're walking through the city, there are different, you know, people are, I think, even depending on which political party you support, you may be treating the disease differently. And it's really, I think, you know, it's difficult, at least for me to kind of adjust to this politicizing of an event like this. But that's just, I think that's just what's happening. And I could be completely wrong. But I, I think that's just the world we're going to have to live in for the rest of our lives. Um, or I mean, hopefully not the rest of our lives, but the politicization of of anything is, is, is the, is, is, is where we're at in life right now. And I don't see it stopping because, um, the, uh, you got to fill the newsreels, right? Yeah, the freedom of information. Yeah. The eyeballs. There's just, 
there's too much time in the day to fill without having these stupid people debate and try and tell you how you should feel about the news. Like Mm -hmm. it's. Well, I think too, we're getting very good at marketing and understanding how to, how to change people's minds. So, you know, there's like this whole identity politics. I think I've been learning a lot more about marketing as I progress in business and that you learn a lot about how much you have to understand about people and human beings and how to change their minds and how to shape them. And I think politically they're getting so advanced at uh, firing people up, uh, you know, cause they understand the human condition and how humans operate, you know, better and better every, every day, every week, every button you click, they're getting more, <laughs> getting smarter at it. So yeah, I think we're, it's going to be very hard for us to ever avoid this ever again. I, I think you're right. I think it's just going to be a part of uh, paying attention to the media and listening to your friends and all that other stuff. I think that's just going to be, we're just going to be dealing with it all the time. <laughs> and one interesting trend today, which um, has been going on, there's been signs of it popping up all over, which is the, um, the individual identity becoming a major, major, major driver of decision making. Um, and what we used to have in the past, it feels like were these sort of group identity um, beachheads, you know, mm-hmm. religion, um, you know, perhaps sports, um, state, country, state, country. Like when the Olympics came out, you know, that was like a big. I, I run for the USA or, you know, like a ton of pride in a, in a, a greater being, but you're right. It is now individual. Sorry. Go ahead. No, that's exactly it. I don't, I see us moving away from that group identity kind of um, thing where what's, what's interesting now is instead of like, you know, having a community that is surrounded around a certain faith or ideology. Um, you know, you've seen like CrossFit becomes extraordinarily, uh, you have these new religions that have popped up, these new sources yeah. of identity. Um, CrossFit, yoga, um, you know, Peloton. Um, the millennial identity has been productized. Big time. I think that's huge. Yep. Yeah. And and then what I find very interesting is now you throw this sort of um, social change agent into the mix. And I think one of the reasons it's caught so much fire is because this is perhaps the first time that a identity group for young adults has been meaningful when it's been linked to something other than a product, when it's been linked to social change and social good, which I definitely support social progress always, of course, but I don't think there's been, I mean, outside of like being against school shootings, there has not been a major millennial identity wave that has been anything that hasn't been directly related to a consumable 
you're an iPhone user, you're on Instagram. I like Macs versus You're an influencer. Windows. Exactly. Right. Every single part of I your identity. I support Target versus Walmart. Yep. You, know, you, you can use go that. on down the line. Mm-hmm. You, instead of like, I think in the past when people have been like, oh, you know, I'm Christian or Lutheran or Catholic or Jewish or, you know, whatever, where I think religion was a bigger component of that identity. We've seen like a sucking vacuum. And then um, your job was such a big component too. And since millennials don't have identity to their job, the advent of the freelancer, um, you know, people not being as loyal to companies, companies not being as loyal to people, let's be honest. Yeah, it goes back and forth. Yeah. <laughs> There's a reason for that. <laughs> Yeah. So I think that's one of the reasons that um, there's so much uh, uh, there's so much energy behind um, a lot of these discussions today, which which I think is really exciting, uh, and I think it's um, also you know we're we're uh, I think we're burning ourselves with that fire on occasion, which um, yeah. Well, that- you know the. I think, you know, kind of thinking back on like, how did we get here and what did it mean? I think when we were like Obama, the Obama campaign, I think from a young adult standpoint, at least that was when I was going through, it was the first time you kind of could identify with something other than your, you know, than like an iPhone user or I, you know, a big thing was sports. And I think sports people are like, I'm a Packers fan. I'm a Viking fan. You know, I'm a blank fan. And what's happened lately is I think some of, like you said, I think religion and some of these other identities have started to dissolve more. And we're kind of, I think in a phase where we're struggling with how do we identify because the product identification I think is wearing pretty thin on a lot of people and it doesn't hold up when you're in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> it's pretty yep. hard to be a Mac user who, or a, you know, Windows user or a Viking fan right now because there's not a lot of support behind your argument that you can kind of continually every day support moving forward. So well, there's... And there's- there's not an opportunity to even have those conflicts within yourself and your peer group on a day-to-day basis where you're yeah. slowly asserting and like feeling out where your identity relates to other people, which happens on a day-to-day basis that has yeah. essentially been eradicated from us. So I think tons yeah. of people are very starved for that, um, that recognition. That search and recognition. Yeah. And just, you know, humans are such social beings that they want, like you said, be recognized and heard. And I think there's an immense amount of frustration around being inside and not having the ability to do the things you want to do. And we're, we're, you know, there's a lot of energy right now that I think is pent up. And I think we talked about this before, but it, it really is getting released in an interesting fashion. And I think the, you know, when we're talking about these kind of causes everybody's going on, it's really interesting to see what, what people grab onto and push. And, you know, the thing that's always difficult is when you see the ego becoming such a part of these conversations and this identity where people want to feel morally superior to others. And it just is starting to cloud a lot of the 
a lot of what's going on. And it's really hard. And I think being off social media has helped me get through the virus without having to deal with it. Because I'll talk to people who will be so fired up. You know, they're so emotional. And huh. I think we can, you know, we can kind of think of a couple of people we've talked to who are so amped up. They're not even themselves anymore. You know, they're yeah. kind of this other, they're in this other realm because they're so emotional. And, you know, it's really hard to be emotional and logical <laughs> or emotional and rational. And I think we're all kind of, kind of going into this. And I've, I've even found myself going into this emotional state. You know, you read some article somewhere or you, you something comes, you see a text message from a friend and you get kind of really amped up. And it's, it's, uh, it's hard to go back to laurels. And I think the point about not having the opportunity to find that identity has been really difficult for people. Really I've, difficult. I've had interactions with people where they seem almost unrecognizable. Mm-hmm. Where I'm, I'm like, this is a side of you that I, I never knew existed. I never yeah. knew this was, you were even capable of this, which isn't necessarily a bad or a good thing. It was just surprising. Like certain people who I have seen be very even keel, um, just popping off at, at a moment's notice. (laughs) (laughs) And I've certainly been at risk for that in my personal life. Right. I, I recognize that, um, the, there's a continual drag, there's a continual sort of slog of pressure on people compounded by the seeming oppression that is the coronavirus, which who I, I wouldn't even call it. I wouldn't even call it oppression. I would, I would call it like you've got one side saying it's oppression and you've got one side saying it's righteousness, which is yeah. just a, a horrible mix of. Well, there's no, there's no, you're not right in either. They're both wrong or, yeah. you know, it's like, it's, it's somewhere in between, which is super gray and who knows what the right answer is. We won't know for a while. So it's crazy. And it's exhausting to be a person who's looking at both of those sides. It's probably exhausting to be on those sides too, which if you remember from my previous, uh, our previous episode a couple months ago, I asked what would be the energy level in terms of how long this will last, right? Mm-hmm. Like how yeah. is this a flame that builds or is this a flame that flares and dies? And I think, I don't know, pro football's right around the corner. So I think she's going to die. <laughs> she's, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I remember, you know, one of the things that I, I realized early on is how much we actually do need sports, you know, like how much I do think that helps our, you know, people get through the week and the day and, I think you're right but with school coming back and pro football coming back. I think there's going to be a, a release of some tension, <laughs> but the election's going to keep it going. It's going to stay until. Yeah. Yeah. I know. And well, and then college football, which is usually a, uh, another, you know, and you think of like region that's very in the South, that's a very important factor yeah. in, you know, social life and, and I think, you know, they're all moving forward, which is really interesting to see the different approaches by different conferences. And 
And I think it says a little bit about the region and what they think is important. Cause there's like no question that the SEC is moving forward. <laughs> yep. No question. In the Big Ten, it's like they are going to do – they're going to take the more conservative approach, which is wait and see. And, um, you know, it's just – it's really an interesting – it's really – you know, it's been really, I think, good and revealing. I think from a personal level, I've learned a lot about myself and what triggers me and, you know, how do I stay more consistent and – you know, stoically, you know, how do you kind of uphold some of these more consistent values and, you know, get back to the basics, but. Well, one thing that um, is kind of interesting is when you, when you look at these events, let's say you're high risk. Okay. Mm -hmm. Nobody's forcing you to go to the Alabama football game. If they have the Alabama football game, I don't know what that has to do with you, especially if you don't live in the direct area. Okay. Yeah. If you are a cashier at the local, um, you know, convenience store Home or whatever, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I totally get that. There should be um, some representation for your opinion and you, you should, you know, have the ability to um, protect yourself or whatever in those instances. Um I tend to always default to local government, but it is, it's frustrating when you've got people across state lines who have nothing to do with what other, the, the, these other places are doing, like casting stones at the decisions that people are making when it's like, Hey, everybody is literally just pulling these decisions out of their butt crack. Not a single person is making any of these decisions on any sort of like, informed opinion that is going to be better than anyone else. We're all operating on pretty much the exact same information. Yep. Nobody's yep. got like the secret sauce. Like you can go talk to a fourth grader and they'll tell you about social distancing and masks. I, what and else you got and, for me? And an 80 year old and they'll say the same thing. Yeah. I mean, yeah. what else, what else you got for me? So I don't know. I, the, the discourse around, like picking apart other people's decisions is just another example of like this stupid gotcha journalism that is just a waste of everybody's time and energy, but gets, yeah, gets I, clicks. I, yeah, it gets clicks. And, you know, I read a, I read a tweet the other day, which was about, and it's from a guy that I, I respect. And he said, it would be interesting to furlough the journalists and see what happens for the next month, you know, and see where, where the country would go after removing some of the information flow um, because it seems like not a lot's going to change in the next month or two. So, you know, I just well, think it's, I'll tell you what happens. The exact same thing that happens every year when the cardiologists go away for their annual board meeting, people stop dying. People stop <laughs> dying as often as they used to. It's a landmark study. I believe it was done in the nineties about, uh, death rates decrease when cardiologists are at their annual meeting because people aren't doing cardiology surgery. So people aren't dying as frequently, not yep. what you would expect. You would expect if all the cardiologists are at an annual meeting and not doing surgery, that people are going to die more frequently. The inverse happens. I would guarantee the same thing happens with this journalism. If you furloughed all the journalism and the information, people quiet down, but you know what? That doesn't fuel 
the that doesn't fuel the beast. No. Journalism now is about fueling the beast that is the American consumption engine. It's not about news. No. Which is, which is why I think you see this huge migration towards more authentic media sources like podcasts or, um, you know, I, I, mean, I mean, really, it's actually podcasts have, have been the solace of, of like information. Well, YouTube too. Um, yep. You know, you think of these like YouTube channels. Or Twitter for information. Twitter or, or Twitch, which is this video game thing. I mean, these companies are, I mean, you look at the Joe Rogan podcast, which we've talked about. And I learned, I actually, you know, that's where I get a lot of information too. <laughs> um, they, you know, how valuable he is and he's setting a precedent for what the new media looks like. And I do think there's this starved population out there of people that are like, how do we just get away from the, this this kind of crap you know it's just it's hard to avoid and what we were noticing too is um you know based on what age you are you you could you consume different types of media and you know kind of the older generations are very newspaper local news trusting and focused because that's what they've grown up with and people that are our age are like no, I'm going to go look at a tweet from some random person that I can, you know, validate with multiple other tweets from other people. You know, there's different way flows of information. Um, when there were the riots in the Twin Cities, we were on Twitter trying to figure out what was happening because we knew the media wasn't, wasn't going to cover it appropriately. Well, now <laughs> so, that is a fascinating news story because I know our national listeners, listeners would want to know about this, but there was a there was a riot in Minneapolis and I found out about it because there started to be helicopters swirling in the area. And I was like, why are there helicopters swirling? Turns out uh, I did the exact same thing. I went on Twitter um, <laughs> yeah. um, and there was a young black man who was uh, being chased by the police because he's a wanted murder suspect who shot himself in the head. And then somebody mistook that event for the police shooting him and riots popped off. And it took a very long time to quell those riots. And the Minneapolis Police Department actually released the video of the victim shooting himself in the head to quell the rumors. That, And I was looking on the national news cycle the next day looking for this story, and it was nowhere to be found. It was on Fox for like a couple hours, nowhere on CNN, nowhere on MSNBC. It was, it didn't fit the narrative. Nope, didn't fit the narrative. Local channels covered it, but the coverage you can you can see when it is tainted. You know, it's like a tainted coverage. Uh, but yeah, it was and pretty significant riots. It was a significant riot. There was a lot of damage, and um, there was um, there were a couple news outlets that there that they said, "Oh, it was too gruesome of a story. We didn't want to share it because there's some research that says." sharing stories of people who commit suicide increases the propensity of people to do it by normalizing the action. So that was like the justification from several large news sites for not running this story. But I was like, uh, you, you are tell you everybody sure? When, when somebody <laughs> ODs, like when Johnny Depp or somebody will OD, you're going to print that story. Oh yeah. I mean, <laughs> some celebrity ODs and it's the, it's front it's headlines, you know, yeah. Robin yeah. Williams kills himself was like the biggest story of 2018. Like, 
Seriously. <laughs> you know, I mean, like, it's like, yeah, are can... you sure that's the reason? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't believe you. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh... yeah, I, you know, it's, you know, going through the wedding, I think also gave us kind of some, a different perspective because we, you know, we were saying when we were, when you're planning for a wedding, the whole virus had the lens of how do I, okay, what does this mean for the wedding? You know, what, what does this mean for, and now that there is no wedding, we're kind of settling into, you know, what is the coronavirus? What is it like out in the real world? And, um, it's just a little different lens. And so I think it's, for me, it's been interesting to kind of look at it two different ways. So it's been really interesting. Absolutely. Well, that's all we got for you today, folks. Tune in next week and we'll be back kicking it here in the rumpus room.